Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and aesthetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor with over 16 years experience in facial aesthetics. And I'm David Siegel, an entrepreneur and business mentor with over 20 years of experience in our industry. Our podcasts are aimed at industry professionals and any information or advice given is general in nature. You should consult with a healthcare provider before undergoing any treatment. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon for on-demand content for injectable business education. Okay, Jake, we're here, episode 243, back with our longtime friend of the podcast, my ex-business partner, close friend, and retail sales and training extraordinaire, Cassandra Smith. Oh, I like the intro. Thank you. Hello. Well, welcome back. <laughs> I do think, I think this is probably episode six yes. for me now. Yeah. Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. yeah. Do I get a pin? I feel like there should be a pin yeah. for multiple. We need yeah. special t-shirts from special our merch t-shirt. store. Well, just to backfill a little bit <laughs> to people that might be new to the podcast or haven't listened to yeah. your five other previous discussions with us. Um, <laughs> you are a, well, you're lots of things. You are my ex-business partner. We used to work at Laser Clinics Australia together. We owned businesses together. We worked together for about 10 years. Your background mm. is in, well, you've got a, a um, dermal science degree. So you've got a background in skin treatments and running devices and also running large teams of therapists. And Which you also true. happen to be a guru when it comes to operational issues and maximizing efficiencies in clinics. So that's kind of your back. Have I missed anything? So I've done your job for you. Tell you Maybe, <laughs> maybe you tell me anything <laughs> that I've missed out. Mother of dogs. Yes. Yes. Archibald, my English bulldog. Uh, part-time plant enthusiast. I'm trying to get better at that. Yes. Uh, but yes, we met via uh, employment first yes. and friendship now. Uh, so in 2012, we started working with each other in uh, Laser Clinics Australia and just recently sold our clinics. Yes. So now I'm focusing mostly on uh, business consulting, a bit of personal development, and then our next projects. So yeah. this year will be a very exciting one. Uh, and the first of which is being... I guess, uh, on your podcast again for, I think, the sixth time. So yeah. here we are. Well, welcome back, Cass. Nice to have you back. And uh, we thought we would do this one because it's New Year. Yep. Early, uh, well, we're recording this sort of mid to late January and traditionally a bit of a quiet time yep. for clinics. Uh, often clinics are sort of just reopening, might, might have been open a week or yep. two and maybe not fully booked yet. Yep. So we thought we would get the the retail and operational guru back on. Yeah. Maybe just think about some out of the box ways of uh, well maximizing retail yep. and and any other opportunities. Yeah. And I think it's it's sort of good to point out that you know Cassandra and I work together. We both do business consulting and mentoring, but we've got we've got some crossover in skill sets. But we've got very different brains. I was very big picture, finance orientated, exit strategies, dealing with sort of long term planning, and you were extremely good at dealing with detail, operational issues, training staff members, resolving issues with cranky or disgruntled <laughs> clients slash patients. And so we worked really well together because we had some commonalities and we, we shared ethics and goals and, and visions for the business and ourselves, but we had different brains and skill sets, which is why we, we kind of work so well together. So um, obviously you're good at things that, that I can't do or don't do very well. So that's why it's great to have you on here to sort of be the yin to my yang. Well, Jake's also the yin to my yang. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it could be a triumvirate. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. This works. Are, yeah. are you trying to yeah. say that you're not good with people? Is that what you're trying I'm to say? I'm good with people because, you know, everyone's got their own their own spin on things. And I think that um, because Cass came from a therapist background when it came to dealing with, with our staff, I, I sort of dealt more with the injectors, to be perfectly honest with you, although mm. Cass had a lot to do with them as well. But running the large therapist teams and the throughput of patients that we had through our clinics, I mean, the, the clinic we mm. had in, in Woden, which is in Canberra for those that are not local, um, that clinic had over 100 patients a day through it. And so extremely busy, busy businesses, yeah. pretty broad range of services, dealing with nurses, therapists. Um, there was just a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts in these businesses. So n- never a dull moment. You don't have any gray hair. <laughs> yeah. I have no hair. You have no gray hair. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. <laughs> I have excellent, excellent hairdresser. Yes. Uh, Lexi Bannister hair, shout out. Oh, there you go. Uh, she's kept me very, very well groomed whilst being very stressed in yeah. uh, some parts of my career. But I will say that towards the end um, of owning our clinics, we were seeing close to 7,000 patients a month. Yeah, well. So what? absolutely there was a lot of uh, crossover in terms of our skills. But I think one of the things that I thrive in is definitely the operational set in language and communication, maximizing your time, but also making sure that you're enjoying your work while you're doing it yeah. as well. Because a lot of the time we can just be go, 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 and yeah. then super busy. And then hopefully yeah. we can start being a bit more strategic about our time, especially our downtime. Yeah. I was like, just get it done. You're like, well, how about we say it this way? Part <laughs> <laughs> so, of least resistance. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess, you know, as, as Jake sort of alluded to, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about these topics now, it's January, it's generally very quiet for people in our industry. Um, mm-hmm. People have got all their treatments prior to Christmas, they've gone on holidays, the, the kids have sort of been driving them crazy. And, and so people have just sort of started to get back into the swing of things now. But traditionally, our, our industry, whether it be in Australia or around the world, is quite quiet in the first period of the new year. So January, February, March tend to be a little bit quiet for us. And so we have some challenges there from a cash flow perspective to, to manage our businesses from a commercial financial perspective. And so one of those elements is how do you maximize every opportunity that you have in your clinic? And, and something that gets often overlooked is, is the retail side of things. And while I was sort of writing these questions and, and thinking about how we were going to piece this discussion together, it sort of dawned on me that everything we do is kind of retail sales. I mean, skincare is kind of mm. what you think about when you say retail sales. Um, but if someone comes in for, say, an anti-wrinkle treatment or a filler treatment, um, there's more opportunities to maximize what you can do with that patient. And I, and I kind of will um, qualify that by saying it's not about trying to sell or push things upon the patient that they yeah. don't need, but it's about really tapping into what their needs are, what you have yeah. within your business that's going to benefit them. So I think we're sort of talking about everything to do with, with sales, but I would like to talk about retail sales and skincare because that seems to be the most obvious one that we sort of yeah. potentially overlook in our businesses. I mean, you, you work in a clinic, Jake. Mm. I'm not sure how many skincare products you sell. Um, I, I occasionally, well, <laughs> actually that's, it, not to do myself a disservice here, I actually talk about skin in every new console. Yeah. Even though I might not be the person, you know, uh, treating or doing the laser. We talk about a lot and, and I'll identify some really simple things. Mm. And, and often, you know, they may walk out with some retinol or vitamin C serum or just something. And then we will book them a formal skincare consult yeah. to actually get them under visit and talk about their skin properly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, apart from skincare, what, what are the other opportunities or, or things that are commonly sold, Cass? I mean, maybe body contouring? That, what, what else? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's about framing it correctly, right? So yes, we are quieter in the first quarter of our calendar year, but that actually just means we have more opportunity to have a chat. We have more opportunity to gain some more relationship building opportunities, but also we have maximum amount of time to clean up what didn't work for us last year. 
So even though, yes, we are a little bit quieter, you could argue that we're somewhat in our fertilizing stage. So if we think about the four seasons of business, you have feed up, fertilizer, you have bloom and boom. So in our feed up period, which is around now, we take a little bit of time to relax. We celebrate the wins we had from last year and we start planning what we want to be doing in our next 12 months. We also start thinking about what are our fertilizer options? Were our consults as great as they could have been? Was our language and voice as a brand as great as it could have been, as well-received as it could have been? What are some things that we can be doing that, yes, now that we have more time in our calendar, do we have an opportunity to start building our injectable side of our business because our skin is booming or vice versa? Do we have a device in our clinic that isn't necessarily being used as well as it could have? So instead of simply trying to push it, let's look at trying to bring it back a little bit, be more strategic with how we're looking at our space and start making deliberate decisions to busy up our calendar, but also streamline our processes. Mm. So in this time, I usually recommend we do a 50-50 split between income producing activities and non-income producing activities. That changes in every season of business um, throughout ideally the four of our year, but When we're looking at doing income-producing activities and non-income-producing activities, what I mean by that is an immediate income-producing activity is to produce a treatment for that person, is to physically have them on their treatment bed, have them within your consult space. A non-income-producing activity to best, I guess, support that is to work on your consult, your language, your treatment planning, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend in this particular point of your season in your business is to look at what did I do well in my last 12 months? What was my conversion rate? Do I have an absolute blockbuster uh, treatment device that's working really well? And how do I best capture the, the clients into other areas of my business that already love that device? So whilst people say, I'm not busy, I'm stressed about it, how's my income going, cash flow is a problem, I like to think about it as let's simmer down a little bit, let's be more strategic in how we're communicating and planning our next 12 months, and let's get into our treatment protocols. Mm -hmm. Let's get into our consultation planning and our language. Let's look at our brand and voice and really launch ourselves so that when that busy period comes back up, we're better adjusted and better prepared to do well with it. Mm. Such a good point. Yeah. Um, I was doing my masterclass with Tom Van Eyck this weekend and to relate this back to injectors, uh, I, we were talking about consults and, and business and, and all that kind of stuff. And I said, on an average week, what I normally do is to, to try and sort of challenge myself to be better. I put a piece of paper mm-hmm. next to my computer and if there's a friction point or something just didn't go mm-hmm. quite right or yeah. I don't know, I notice something in my consult form that doesn't quite make sense. I'll just write it down because I can't action it then. But then at the end of the week, I've got like, you know, five or 10 bullet points that I can action. So just little things like that, I think in January would be good to nip in the bud because you've got that time. Mm -hmm. If you're not fully booked, you can sort of, you know, look at those lists or what what you said, Cass, um, sort of get your team together and work out, well, where did it go good? But also where did it not go so good last year? Yeah. And Jake, would you consider then doing a call to some of your, I guess, regular clients to ask those questions of them as well? Yeah. Um, I haven't actually done it, but I was thinking about doing mm. something like a survey monkey, not to everyone. Mm. I, I think that that, yeah. that might be too sort of broader a stroke, but maybe sort of like my hundred sort of well-trusted patients where I think they'll be honest yes. with me yeah. and, yes. um, and say, Hey, like, you know, what do you think of the girl on reception or what did you think of my room or what do you think of the new decor or, or all that stuff, you know, and, and try and get some honesty from people. 
but I, I haven't done it yet, so I'm not going to sit here and say I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with that. That's okay. <laughs> okay, check perfect. Take needs to book in a consulting session with you, Cassandra. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask if you're open to that is if you get so much feedback from our clients immediately, right? Because yeah. let's be honest, ideally we're providing a great experience. So our clients are really happy when they leave our treatment rooms, when they leave our business. We've said goodbye, we've planned their next appointments, and we're going to see them again in however many weeks or months time. Mm. But then they go home and maybe they sit within their result and they sit within their experience and they think, you know what, I could I could love this a bit more. I, if I were to do exactly what I wanted to do, here are some things I might do differently. Yeah. Or there might just be one little tiny habit you have within your treatment protocols or the way that you're communicating that could be slightly adjusted so that you're mapping that relationship out more positively. And then the accidental side effect is your sales are going to increase. Yeah. Your clients will trust you a lot more. The experience will be seamless. And I love the word that you used previously in friction. We're removing those friction points, but we might not always see exactly what we're doing. So let's ask those people that we trust. Let's ask the people that are experiencing the treatments with us to say, hey, would you be likely to recommend me to somebody else? What do you love about your treatments? What are you loving about your results? Mm. And what are some things you think that I could do better so that you're a 10 out of 10? How mm. do I do this to best support you? And how do we work with each other for a long time? Mm. And then that way, you're getting a good understanding and narration of how you're actually treating and being received within that particular treatment rather than simply what you're putting out. Yeah. What? How do I put this? Um, as a business owner, I'm not a business owner in terms of I don't own my clinic, but if mm -hmm. I did own a clinic and, and I got some you know, critical feedback or negative feedback, I, I can imagine mm -hmm. that can be quite difficult to handle sometimes, uh, even if it's something that you've really worked on and it hasn't worked. So um, how do you reckon that you get an honest but constructive, I guess, bit of advice from your from your patients? Because if, if you make it anonymous, you could get sort of some quite harsh feedback, I reckon. But if you allow True. people to put their name on it, they may not be as truthful. So how do you balance True. that? I don't necessarily recommend a survey monkey uh, option. I would prefer that most people take up the advice to speak to people that they trust or mm -hmm. they have treatment plans with, yep. long-term clients or those satellite clients that refer a lot of a lot of patients to yeah. you. In the event that you're getting a pattern of negative feedback, that's when I start looking at how do I do this better? What protocols can I put within my structure in my consultation or adjust the environment of my clinic to do better and build better? Uh, not necessarily taking one bad comment and letting that derail all of the comments. Hmm. Remembering too that feedback is just allowing you to grow. It's allowing you to build better structure within your business so that every honest conversation you're having, you take what you need from it and you do with that information what you need to do. Yeah. There's also a really good option to speak to someone that you respect within your industry as well to say, hey, I've received this sort of information. It's coming back through a pattern. Is there an option to look at how we reverse this? Yeah. So if the pattern is constantly an issue with, let's say you're a bit, I don't know, salesy and you they feel like you're pushing them, right? So let's talk about, do you have a really confident understanding of the type of clients that you're treating? And with those types of clients, how they're best going to receive information about treatment planning, about retailing, about moving on to a different part of your business. Because how you're relaying the information and how they're receiving it are two completely different things. And it's important to have that language and communication confidence to be able to deliver the same message and the same, ideally, great outcome to each client and each type of client that you're seeing. Yeah. So if it's a negative comment, take all of the notes 
understand exactly where they're coming from and thank them for that. Because without this phone call, you would never have the understanding of how this is being received within your business. Yeah. You can't get better until you know better. D- did you ever do a 360 on, on your old staff and, and get rated <laughs> yourself as, as business yes. owners? Both yes, of you? Yes. Yeah, my of team course. know all about reverse interviews. Reverse interviews. <laughs> I know about reverse interviews. interviews. What, what kind of stuff came up? Oh, that I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I, I think I think that um, you get all sorts of feedback. I mean, some of it's positive. It really depends on the relationship you have with each staff member. But I think that the more that you do these things and the more you build the relationship and the trust, you'll find that it'll be quite constructive, especially if they're valued staff members that have been with you for a long time. Yeah. Um, yes. But I think just let's just rewind a little bit because we've, we've covered a lot of ground and I think there's a couple of things we sort of glossed over. So I think that the, the first point I want to make is that I think as people in this industry, we're very used to being busy. We're very comfortable with being busy. It's it's a it's a high high paced industry. There's lots of things happening all the time. So I think the first point is to get comfortable with downtime. Like get into that that into that frame of mind where you're comfortable to have a period where you're actually not going to be seeing lots and lots of patients all the time. And use this period, as Cassandra said, as as a research tool, a research mm. a research period. And to look at all the different data points that you're going to need and reflect upon to make changes into your business. So one of the things that you touched on, Cassandra and Jake, was um, talking to patients. Now, I don't know whether 100 is a number. I don't know whether I could say 100 people in my business I could know and trust and have got that level of intimate relationship with where they're going to give me constructive feedback. I'd say you're probably looking at maybe 10 to 15 patients Mm -hmm. who have been you know, your your people since day, the people that have been with you, they love you, they love your brand, they're going to be really honest with you. Um, I, I like the idea of like personal meetings, whether it be a phone call or whether you catch up with them for a coffee. I think mm-hmm. it's important to outline the premise of the discussion that you want them to be honest with you, um, that this is important for you as, as, as an injector and or, and or a business owner so you can make constructive um, improvements to your business. Yeah, um, I think you need to look at the data as well. So this comes back to how well are you record keeping? Are you using your CRM properly? Is your accounting software up to date? Is it set up in a way that gives you useful, meaningful data that's going to allow you to sort of start making informed decisions? So there's the people side of things. So your patients, you might include staff members in there as well, because they're in your team. They're looking at things from a different perspective as well. And then looking at the hard, the hard, you know, the, the cold hard numbers, you know, how have you performed? What areas of your business have not been generating income? You know, have you looked at th- even things like price increases? You know, what's happening, what's going on with your margin over the last 12 months? I mean, the last couple of years have been really, really <clears throat> important in terms of looking at this data because we've had inflation and price increases and, and everything's becoming more expensive. If you haven't increased your prices yeah. to stay in line with, with inflation, then you've got this thing called margin creep or you've got a reverse margin creep. So you've actually got a decrease in your profitability, even if you might be performing the same or if not more treatments. So I think it's a it's a multifaceted audit approach. Of both. Yeah. yeah. Audit of both sides. It's it's the back end, but also your client facing role as well. Yeah. Um I do we've run uh programs almost every year that I've had businesses within the last last decade. About uh about 12 clients is usually my number. Yeah. And I'll ask them a series of questions, the same questions, and I'll ask them again in three months' time. Yeah. Yeah, because we want them to be part of our success. We want them to be part of how we're building our business. But also, once you're able to trust the business that you're working with as a client, it means that you're able to be, I guess, confident in how they're going to deal with bad feedback, how they're going to deal with great feedback, what sort of referral programs they have, and all sorts of things. Which means that when they actually refer a client, they trust you because they understand that you're not going to simply gloss over any um, 
I guess, improvement strategies that they might have for you. Mm -hmm. But they're also going to treat you as a human and respect you as almost like a business partner within within your clinic space. Yeah. It's not necessarily just the owners that you need to be doing sort of chats with, just the employees. Yeah. It's absolutely also those clients that really do build your business. Yeah. And what about the the, the concept of having colleagues within the industry that you can share and collaborate I, collaborate on ideas with? So, for example, like in yeah. our Patreon community where we've got, you know, nearly 500 people who are sort of part of our community from around the world, you know, they can talk to each other. They can discuss ideas, challenges they have in their business, run mm-hmm. scenarios past them. And that's part of it as well as developing that community within your industry as well, because it's hard to have all the answers. You need people around you to support you and lift you up and help you when times are tough and give you ideas and maybe give you some honest feedback on your business. And I think it's moving from, mm-hmm. you know, that mindset from competition to collaboration. It's not like yeah, your competitor agreed. is not your enemy. Mm. Um, maybe you don't want to, you know, <laughs> share your trade secrets with the person that's opened up next door to you, but there's no, there's no reason why you shouldn't have a family of people with, within the industry that you can rely upon to assist you and, and give you feedback, especially those people that have been successful. Because the reality is we're in a hyper competitive space these days. Every year, this industry becomes more and more competitive. And as Cassandra alluded to, you need to be 10 out of 10, maybe you need to be 12 out of 10. You actually need to exceed people's expectations because as soon as you become standard, yeah. you're replaceable. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's the extra 2% that you can give, I think, really does make a difference. Uh, I say this quite a lot, but for the majority of clinic spaces, we're all somewhat producing the same treatment outcomes. We're all somewhat using the same devices and products. So what sets you aside is the relationships that you're able to build within your clients and your team and the language and communication you're able to deliver. So making sure that when we're talking to people within our community, look for patterns of issues. So are we finding that cash flow for our clients is more of an issue? Is the clinic down the road being able to get some success doing one particular strategy? Is someone over the other side of the country doing really well or have a great idea about how they're running their business? So absolutely, I agree, David and Jacob. It is definitely important to have a community around you of people that you respect. Um, so perhaps, look, it's, it's harnessing friends and family that'll tell you very, very truthfully. <laughs> it's harnessing our great clients, but also speaking to our community leaders and members as well to make sure that we're improving as we need to, to set ourselves up for success in the year. I think that's um, one of the biggest or most popular things about our Patreon. Yeah. It's the it's the sharing, the the daily chats, uh, especially the, the business chat where, you know, yeah. things always crop up mm-hmm. um, and, and people just seem so happy to share. So, yeah, mm. so it's a good thing that yeah. people are... Well, you're attracting, you're building a community of like-minded people. And, yeah. I, and I think it's about people do what other people do. So the, the bigger the community gets, the more people that join, the more that people see other people are comfortable to share. It start, starts to become this self-perpetuating Definitely. trend. And I think that's where, that's where we need to go, to be honest with you. You sort of, you, what do they say? Your vibe attracts your tribe. Is that, is that the same? That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very woo-woo of you, David. Yeah. Well done. Uh, well, it's, 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 20, it's 2024. <laughs> it's the year of, of woo-woo, Dave. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So going back to retail, um, again, I don't own my clinic, but there, there are a lot of injectors who, who do and, and they'll often get, get in skincare, not because mm-hmm. they're maybe, maybe it's not their passion, but they, they, they realize it's important. And, and of course, it's another revenue stream. But do, do you find in your own experience, I'll ask both of you, because you both mentor businesses, that it's kind of like the, the forgotten second thing that clinics do and, and sometimes they, they, there's no real strategy it's just put on a shelf and hope for the best is, is that common david um it is and i think a lot of people 
see it as, a, as it's a secondary thought. It's not really a primary consideration, especially for injectors. I think they're very concerned about injectable products and things that they're comfortable understanding and explaining to the patients. A lot of practitioners, particularly nurses and doctors, aren't that, unless they're a dermatologist, um, aren't that comfortable talking about skincare, for example. Mm. They don't really know too much about it and therefore it's not given the attention that it needs. And whilst it doesn't give you the same sort of revenue or margin as, say, what an injectable treatment does, it's all part of the pie. It's all it's all part of, of the recipe that makes your business successful. And Cassandra could probably talk to, you know, what kind of impact retail sales made on our and our businesses over the years because it, it does all add up. It it's something that once people get on the, the, the wagon with it, it sort of does have its it's sort of its own momentum. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think one thing that's really changed uh, how businesses that I'm working with are achieving retail sales is actually building that conversation into their treatment protocols. So previous to this, if, if any of your listeners have already been doing this, then absolutely well done. I've just recently learned it and it has been incredible uh, for the business I've been working with. So we all know about how to physically apply the treatment. We all know how to inject the product. We all know how to get that device doing exactly what it's meant to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So why not build in how you're going to structure your consultation, how you're going to structure your feedback about skincare within your consultation, within your treatment protocols, so that it's not necessarily an afterthought. It's woven into your actual protocols and how you're delivering communication to your clients. We also need to remember that the amount of time we spend working on someone's skin and they go home and they're not using the products that are actually going to be in line with their goals or they've listened to an influencer somewhere along the line that told them this particular product was great and it's doing the reverse agent of what we actually need to be producing within our space. So I'd never want to lead with shame when we're talking about product choices or retailing decisions, but it's important to get an understanding as to why your clients are choosing what they're choosing and why they're not choosing it from you. So when we talk about physically providing a consultation, it does start from the moment you say hello, as I'm sure everyone's told, um, been told Sorry, by anyone who's teaching them. It starts in the car park. It goes to the front of the clinic and then it goes into your treatment room. So it's making sure you're prioritizing that communication, both verbal and nonverbal, to make sure that you're able to provide those opportunities within your consult. So retailing within businesses that I've personally owned rather than uh, businesses that I've helped lead and mentor, for me, our, our, I guess, sustainable point was one in four clients would purchase a retail product. One in four for us seemed to work well and absolutely you'd love for it to be one in two or every single client, but we don't want to be flogging products to our our clients so we don't want to be flogging treatment options. Mm. What we want to do is build a relationship with them where they're going to trust us and help educate why we believe that to look after them the way that we should to get the result that they want and the relationship that we need is to talk through why these particular ingredients are going to do well for that person's skin. It's not necessarily always saying that you need to buy a product from you right now, but I find educating the client about the ingredients that you know will help their skin, the way that product is going to deliver those ingredients is far better than simply saying you should buy this product from me after you've just spent $1,000 in this treatment room on my services. So talking about the products that you're going to be using. If we give an example of a cosmetic injectables consultation, you'll be talking about the product you're going to be injecting. You'll be talking about the microfiller that you're going to be injecting into that person's skin. So whilst we're doing that, it's also letting them know they're really going to benefit from using a digestive acid 
they're really going to be benefiting from using vitamin A, vitamin C, those sort of things. And having the opportunity to educate your client on those particular ingredients is a far better first step than simply trying to flog with that product to that person or trying to move them on to the more expensive thing. Yeah. I honestly believe that you get a lot more out of your consultation by saying no and building a yes than selling them everything they need every single step of the way. So they constantly feel flooded and tormented really by the salesy, um, salesiness of that particular conversation. I forgot the term microfiller. Yeah. That was an LCA <laughs> term, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I thought you were going to say we needed to translate the word flog or flogging to our no. non-Australian. Is that, we is may, yeah. <laughs> Flog is uh, push, unnecessarily push. Give aggressively yeah. without, yeah. yeah, unnecessarily. The hard sell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> our clients are far more educated than they've ever been as well, yeah. right? So it's talking through the ingredients that are going to be beneficial for them. It's giving them opportunities to go and research we're no longer saying that we are absolutely the be-all and end-all about every single product that's ever been invented, but we can be super confident in the ingredients we know are going to be complementary to the results that they want. Yeah. So building that into your conversation is really great and making sure it's actually embedded in your treatment protocols. It's embedded in how you're actually focusing your consultation. Because I genuinely believe if you're not speaking about skin, you're not speaking about complementary services, you're not speaking about complementary devices, you're really only ever just taking an order and doing 50% of the job. And that's not who we are. We yeah. spend 100% of our time rather working on our business, thinking about our clients, sleeping, dreaming, everything about our businesses. Yet we never give 100% in our actual consultation to set ourselves up. Yeah. When you have this pattern of conversation and this pattern of, I guess, continuity, it just becomes natural and it's no longer difficult. In the first few times you do it, it feels unnatural and it feels a little bit clunky. But eventually, like Jake, you're not necessarily writing down on a piece of paper friction points. You're saying, this worked really well for me and this is how I want to do it again. This is easily repeatable and sustainable. And this is how I can grow a pattern of positive relationships and interactions with my clients. And then the accidental side effect of that is that you're selling more, you're retelling more, and your clients are referring more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, like I said, when I ask about skincare in my consults, I think it works. Well, one, because it shows I care about them holistically, but also I literally put my hands up and say, I'm not the guy who's going to make any money from this. I'm just telling you because <laughs> it's really important because... You know, yeah. your, your skin is like the whole canvas of your face and I can do the best thing in the world with your fillers and tox and whatever. But if your skin isn't singing, you mm. will look in the mirror and not be fully satisfied. So please think yeah. about your skin yeah. as well. I think it helps yeah. them know that, oh, he, he just genuinely yeah. cares. It's building a bit of trust as well. Yeah. Um, I think it depends. Like my advice would be different depending on what sort of relationship and what um, environment you're working in. Like take, for example, if you are a solo injector and there is no one around you, there are no skin therapists, there is no receptionist, there's nobody else, then my advice would be to actually have some ingredient training. Speak with the people that are providing those products to you in terms of your product reps to say, here, here's what I do 99% of the time. Mm. Can you tweak my consult? Can you tweak a bit of information here for me? If you're working within a team and you're really busy, then absolutely, you may want to look at prioritizing physically doing the treatment and bringing in a skin consultation straight after their particular appointment with you. Maybe that's the best service you can provide. But the worst, worst possible outcome is that you don't have enough time, so you just let it go. And they're just going to go on Instagram later, find an influencer, and they're going to buy that product from them. What we need to do is work out where you are within your business, where you are within your time, 
and then work out the best possible outcome for you in terms of delivering an opportunity for that retail, that retail, um, I guess, conversation. Hmm. So you sort of, you sort of said like a lot of injectors don't know much about skincare. And so to talk to their reps and get some preliminary or basic advice, but where, where do you think people should start? If the people listening to this, who recognize that they need to make this part of the conversation, make this part of their consultation process, how mm-hmm. can they get started in understanding? I mean, it's all very well to talk to a rep, which is great, um, but mm-hmm. obviously there's some biased information there. You're not sort of always getting information that doesn't have an angle to it. You want to be able to look at things objectively. So as, as someone that's listening to this, where would you recommend they start to start educating themselves on the basics of skincare so they can have those conversations with patients? Sure. There's many, many different opportunities. Um, one of which, if you are working within a team and you haven't had consultations with your peers, have them. Have a consultation with someone you know is cracking at sales, cracking at building great client relationships and have raving reviews. If that person doesn't work with you, go and source them out as potentially a collaboration idea. It doesn't also need to be someone that's selling skincare, right? You can have someone who's the most amazing fruit salesman but it's the way they communicate with their clients and how they can drive a bit of trust and excitement within that conversation. There are lots of opportunities online to learn about basic skincare ingredients that you can carry on to whatever product line that you're particularly um, proud of and selling. There's also opportunities to work with business mentors and people within your industry who've done it before, are doing it currently, and want to save you from making the mistakes that they may have made or the struggles that they may have had to push through. There are many, many ingredients within a healthy a healthy skincare product. The majority of products, however, are very, very similar. It just changes how the particular ingredient is, uh, I guess, used within that product and the combination of ingredients. But you'll find once you've got a pretty good baseline information of the core ingredients of most products, you can give that information out regardless of where you are within your products um, offering within your clinic. Yeah, the reps do do need to do a little bit of work, and you do need to be very honest with them, right? <laughs> yeah. So you do need to say, "I'm not likely to do X, Y, Z, but I really want to make sure that the amount of time my clients are spending with me, they're getting the most out of it." So talk to me about refining the skin. Talk to me about working through pigmentation. Talk to me about working through healthy aging. How do I work with post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation? All those sort of things that are going to help the skin present better so your work looks better, but also you're going to be future-proofing the health of your skin by making sure that the cells that are coming up, the skin that's coming through is as healthy as we want it to look and it's supporting the injectable results that you've already given them. Yeah. So slightly off topic, I just want to ask you and keep it Mm. simple if you can. Is there such (laughs) thing as medical-grade skincare? Is that just a, a, a marketing term? Is it real? A bit of both, a bit of both. Look, it's, it is a bit of marketing and it depends what country you live in. Mm. So I've already learned that I can't say flogging because it's an Australian symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> but in Australia, yes, we do uh, have basic run-of-the-mill natural skincare or beauty-based skincare. We have medical-grade skincare. We have cosmeceutical-grade skincare, lots of different things. But a basic understanding is a cosmeceutical product is going to work with how your skin cells are behaving. Mm-hmm. A cosmetic product is going to work in how your skin simply looks right interesting we want to be making sure that if we're doing treatments as we are in our clinics that are based on changing the way our skin cells perform uh, and our skin delivers i guess an aesthetic appearance we want to make sure it's functionally well and it's aesthetically presenting well the easiest way to do that is through cosmeceutical skincare yeah no that's a good point so and, and and i guess the rough distinction would be the ones with the 
higher percentage of actives that actually change or, or do something to your skin will tend to be in a clinic like, you know, where we all work rather than duty-free. Yes, yeah, potentially. But also remembering that higher ingredients don't necessarily mean better. Yes. It's working through the type of ingredients that your skin needs for the goals that you have together. Still yeah. got to be diagnosed and consulted. Yeah. And so this is opera. And this is something that you probably do with your with your clients, uh, Cass, because you've got such a, a you know a deep knowledge of skincare. Even if it's a product you're not familiar with, you'll be able to read the ingredients and be able to ascertain the quality of that product. So there you go, a little plug for you, Cass. If Thanks. anyone wants to help Call with me. their skin, yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess another point to think about as well is like, uh, do you have the right product for your demographic, for your client profile? I mean, if you're a, a, a clinic that attracts an older client with, you know, maybe even different nationalities or, you know, different ethnicities, mm -hmm. different skin types. So you also need to make sure, and you can speak to this as well, you actually got the right product mm -hmm. for your patients. Not, not The skincare that works in my clinic might not be the, the skincare that's going to work in your clinic because you've got a different patient profile. Yes, absolutely. And that's when we start building those decisions. We make good decisions to start, right? We're educated people. We understand what we want to do and how we want to produce it. But it's not until we really sit within our business that we understand the decisions we've made and how we might want to edit or adjust them. So when you first start in a clinic, you're going to go with a product line that likely has pretty core ingredients that make sense to the goals you're going to have within your treatment menu. Mm. You might go with brand awareness or you might go super small and supportive, right? And then as you start working with your clients, as you start building that clientele and that demographic, you'll be able to make decisions about cleaning up your particular product line, maybe changing it or offering less or more in that particular range. Yeah, Ingredients are more important, I believe, than the brand. That being said, I don't recommend having millions of brands of skincare within your particular space. It clutters the information. It doesn't build trust. But I can understand wanting to have a range where you may do internal skincare. You may do some really high active products. You might have a, a medium entry-level product that everyone can build from. Yeah. That's the risk, isn't it? Sometimes people just want everything. They try to be, they go from having no skincare to having 300 <laughs> products in their clinic and there's just, it just becomes sure. a, a cluttered mess with, as you said, you don't, yeah. it, it comes across as you don't really know what you're selling. So you're just selling everything because you're trying, exactly. to, you're trying to take a bet each way. You I can, just want to yeah. um, add to that. So I think you said that really well. So often on our WhatsApp groups or you see it on Facebook forums or whatever, you'll have injectors saying, hey guys, um, what's the best skincare that I should start stocking? And really mm -hmm. you said, turn the question on its head and say, well, identify who your cohort is and what are your most common things that are walking in the door and yes. then find the skincare for that rather than what your friend yeah. uses in Melbourne. Yeah. Yes. So exactly right. it's just yeah. such a common thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's, People it, ask these questions and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, I think we've just been trained to sort of just follow the lead a little, a little bit. I mean, that's not a, a, uh, a slight on anyone. It's just that we are as human beings. That's sort of how we operate. We sort of, we follow leaders and, and we sort of do what others do. So mm. I think it's just about taking a step back and thinking, as you said, Cass, Reversing the equation a little bit, starting starting with the patient and what they need, and then working out what product you need, rather than trying to get a product and then trying to make it fit, and exactly as you said, right. and flog it yeah. to your patients, as you said. So, you know, yes. I, think, I think it's just about <laughs> just turning the proposition on its head a little bit. Um, yeah. Sorry, Jake. You want to say? Uh, well, firstly, I was going to say I've just noticed all of us. Have you got the beauty field set on our skins? Looking no. really good. No, we're just we're just we're just <laughs> that, <laughs> we're just that good. Looking. looking great. We're just we're just that good looking. Well, uh, we're anyway, just, we're using good good it's skincare. Our skincare <laughs> and our retailing opportunities <laughs> and uh, our devices using uh, our injectors. Yeah. Um, what I was going to we we I sort of asked the question. Yeah, I think we we sort of as we do we we sort of get off track a little bit. But we talked about like what sort of impact it made to to our bottom line as business owners. Mm. So I remember that 
our retail skincare used to, depending on which clinic, because we don't own a number of clinics together, sort of made up around 10 to 15% of our total turnover at, mm-hmm. any, at any given time. And I mean, if these clinics were turning over to, some of them are turning over two, three million, even more dollars a year, that's a mm-hmm. significant amount of income mm. in it addition. Is. And so, yeah. yeah, do you want to talk to that a little bit in terms of the financial side of things? Maybe that helps motivate people to sort of think about, you know, sure. the, the bank account a little bit as well in terms of what, <laughs> difference, what difference it can make to you. Yes, absolutely. Um, to give, I guess, the easiest possible example is to work through what 72% of our clients had within the businesses that we owned a couple of years ago. 72% of our clients had Brazilian and underarm laser. So, <laughs> mm. 72% of our clients would receive that product um, sorry, that particular treatment. And then at 72% of our clients, we had one in four of them purchasing uh, glycolic scrubs after laser gels and cleansers. Now, what I thought was really interesting is I focused the first easy four years of my life within that business at trying to sell as much laser as possible, get as many people to trust injectables because at that time it was still very scary and we weren't necessarily saying the full words at our full volume. We were whispering <laughs> it uh, under our under our desks. Uh what I realized towards the end of it, however, is I actually made more profit out of selling one post-treatment gel than I did providing four treatments. Mm. So everybody seems to believe that skincare is just an add-on. It's just a random thing that sits on the shelf and hopefully somebody uses it and likes it, right? But what it does is it's just another employee. You wouldn't let an employee sit on your shelf and not do anything, correct? Yeah. So let's make that product work for us. The easiest way to build profit within your business is to sell what you already have. You're only paying for the production of that particular product or the delivery of that particular product one time. But the profit within that actual product is likely very similar to what you're making within your treatments as well. It's also remembering too that when we're educating our clients about our retail products, it's teaching them how to use them in, I guess, multiple ways. So you're not just selling it as a laser gel or as a post-injectables gel. You're not necessarily doing it as a prep product for their, let's say, laser pigmentation removal. It's how else can they use that product within their lives. So this just becomes a completely logical purchase because it is. And they trust you because you as their provider are not going to stock a, a product that's not going to be great for them. You've built that trust with them. You've built that language and communication. So it's a logical decision to sell that particular product. In the businesses that I've owned, I understand that one in four doesn't necessarily seem amazing, right? But I'm proud of it. And I think it worked really well for us because it built a relationship with our clients where they would understand that we're not going to push every single product to them, but we're going to make sure that they understand why we want to support them at home as much as we do within our clinic space. And that's making sure they're using the right products, the right ingredients, and the right sequence of ingredients as well. Yeah. That's a good point, actually, because everyone's got a skincare product on their shelf or multiple skincare products on their shelves. And so a lot of the time, the conversation will go along the lines of, this product will be great for you for reasons one, two, three, four, and five. Yes, thank Mm -hmm. you, Cassandra, but I've already got my product line at home. Maybe I'll think about your product after I've finished this. And so that seems to be a conversation that would come up a lot. How do you, how would you tackle that? It's one of my favorite ones because you're right. (laughs) It is very, very common. It is common. And again, I don't like to leave with shame at all when it comes to sales. But what we simply say is, okay, David, uh, so you've let me know that you're already using a, a, a scrub, say, at home. When you purchase that scrub, what were the main reasons behind it? And what do you love about this particular product? 
you can respond if you like. Oh, right. Uh, this is role playing. Oh, right. Sorry. I didn't know it was that kind of show. All right. Um, um, oh, look, I mean, um, it works well for me. I've used it for a long time. It so smells nice. It smells nice. Smells I, li- nice. I like yeah. yeah, it smells good. It feels good on my skin and I haven't had any problems with it. So, I'm, you know, if it, ain't broke, if it ain't broke, why fix it? <laughs> this is true. I'm glad it's working for you and it seems like smell is really important to you and making sure your skin's nice and smooth and glowy. Yes? Yes. So what I'd recommend you do is after you finish your product, consider using our and then you insert whatever it is. Um, I'll send you home with some samples so you can try it before you purchase it next time. I love that you're already into skincare and you're already using it at home. That's going to make our results in clinic much more sustainable. And let's be honest, make me look even better because your skin's going to look great with what I do, but also how you look after it. Right. And what if the product they're using is just crapola? Like it's just not, you know that the product's not great, but the patient doesn't know that yet. Estee Lauder. <laughs> don't don't say that. <laughs> so you would say, okay. So when you chose that product, what are some main reasons as to why you did, and what do you think it is helping you with? And I'll usually say, it smells really good. It was on sale, or I really like that it just my skin feels squeaky clean afterwards. Mm. And you'll go, great. Okay. So one of the main things that you've spoken to me about is the fact that your skin feels really tight, and you're getting some redness through the cheeks, the nose, the décolletage, etc. What I find is when we use products similar to, insert this particular product they've mentioned, um, our clients are coming back with skin concerns like yours. So what I'd recommend is unfortunately, this particular product's likely to be causing these issues. So what I'd like to do is move you on to, and then X, Y, Z. I'll give you some samples for today. Please use them tonight and then you know give them a particular treatment plan. And let's report back to each other in four days, set a time to discuss how your skin's feeling. You'll probably find that whilst I want to see you all the time within clinic, simply changing up your skincare may give you some great results as well. So just again, you've then said, come see me when you're ready. Let's follow up soon. Let's not shame you about what you've already, uh, I guess, purchased and what you're loving, but let's work with why they purchased it, what they like about that particular product and what ingredients are working for them already. That way you're working with them. It's not me versus you. Yeah. I- I love asking my patients, so what are you currently using? And they'll you know, tell me a whole <laughs> list of things. <laughs> yeah. And then, like you just said, oh, why? Or, 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 or how's that working for you? Because mm. you bought it for your pigmentation and yet it's still there. <laughs> so yeah. not, yeah. not, not, yeah. not the subtle sh- jokes. Yeah. So, no, I mean, obviously I don't say it as direct as that. You bought it for your pigmentation, but it still looks terrible. <laughs> Still looks garbage. No, but what I mean is... Think about how many clients do do that, right? They'll come in and they'll say, I've I've genuinely had a woman tell me that she scrubs her face every day because of the age spots on the sides of her face. Yeah, trying to scrub them off. No scrub on top of your skin will do that. However, that's the best education she had at the time. It's the best information she had at the time and it's the best decision she could make until she met you. It was the best decision she could make with the information she had at the time until she met you. So it's important to educate, be kind and aware of how they're making decisions as well and build that trust. Because at the risk of sounding like a slogan, I honestly believe there's three C's, right? Calm, confidence, cash. If the client feels (laughs) calm, they're confident within the relationship, they're going to spend cash. I can see David's laughing at me about saying cash. You had me at cash. cash. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. If someone is calm and confident with you, they never feel as though you're pressuring them. They just feel as though they're within a relationship with you that's supportive. You've both got the same goals. You're communicating well. Nothing feels forced. Nothing feels rushed. And they never feel as though you've taken advantage of them and their wallet. They're calm. They're confident. They're going to spend cash. 
Yeah. Whilst you were both laughing at me, I, obviously I'm not as direct as that, but what I mean is I'm trying to point out to the patient that their previous purchases are not getting to, to their goal. It's just kind of obvious, yeah. right? That's why in your room or, or often why they're in your room. So yes. it, it's just sort of easing them into a different uh, thought pa- pattern because they've often yeah. been marketed to or they've yes. just bought a brand because, you know, their friend uses it. And yeah. skincare education, I don't know why it's so poor i mean i think it's because honestly we didn't do it well for a really long time we were very you know buy this product and then funnel that client through to the next product and then get them onto this service and trap them within your business yeah we used to do that all the time it literally used to be here are the snake dives that you'll get if you purchase this cream right (laughs) so it used to be that and that's what we did and we found this this weird pattern of communication within our clients but through use of internet, uh, better education and more access to information, I think we're all doing a lot better. Yeah. We're all communicating a lot better. There's still a few of us that are flogging a few things that they probably shouldn't uh, and communicating the way that maybe they could do better. But I think we're genuinely better now at how we're communicating about skin education, mm. how we're communicating retailing and sales. It's not as you know, spikely jacket and forcing someone to purchase something mm. that doesn't work anymore. And nor should it. Yeah. It's not infomercial. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the challenges that business owners have and had, and I had this challenge as well, and I'm sure you faced it um, during your time mm-hmm. in the clinics too, is if you're in a clinic that has staff members, how do you get them trained and motivated to to do what you do or to get them to feel enthusiastic and pumped about a certain product? Because it's sometimes it's like herding cats, mm-hmm. trying to get people moving in a coherent <laughs> direction is very yes. difficult. Did you have any tips for that in terms of training and motivating staff when it comes to retail sales? Absolutely. I have 10 podcasts to do on this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how long have you got? Yeah. Uh, it depends on the type of team that you're working with, the environment you've got. But just, I guess, some stock standard advice is forget about selling a product. You're not selling a product. You're simply building a relationship. A natural side effect of good communication, a natural side effect of great uh, treatment application and environment is purchasing product. So when we work on staff training, when someone says to me, Cassandra, I'd like to book you in for a full day's training in sales. A lot of the time I'll actually spend looking at their environment, how they're communicating with their team, how their team actually interacts with the product. The amount of times I walk into a business and the clients are not, um, I guess, put in a position where they're going to feel trust straight away, but also the, the treatments themselves are not being produced by the same therapist each time. Right? So there has to be continuity training. We have to understand that we're not always going to see each client every single time, but we need to trust that the, the voice, the communication style, and the experience is predictable and sustainable. One thing that I find, um, I guess, really interesting within providing staff training is actually working at how they communicate. So how does that particular brand want to communicate? What voice do they want to have and how they're actually retailing their products and services? So that advice will change depending on who I'm speaking to. But what I would recommend is build a relationship, build how your clients are being met at front desk, build how you're communicating with them within the actual space. Then start looking at what are your hero products? Can you have a champion within your team that is an absolute lover of this particular product and get them doing training, get them excited about what's working for them. Make sure that your team actually have the services you provide. They actually use the products and have access to those products at home. Mm. 
a lot of times I find I'm spending hours actually discussing the basic run-of-the-mill ingredient um, knowledge because what we've done is we focus so much on making sure that our therapists, our injectors, our team members are able to do every single treatment but not necessarily understand every product. I touched on this earlier in this podcast in speaking about embedding your retail into your treatment protocols, embedding your prep and aftercare into your treatment protocols. It's just as important and it's just as important to building a great relationship with your client to make sure that when they're at home, they're thinking about you. Mm. What do you mean build it into the protocols? You mean like put skincare on them before they leave you? So for example, let's use Jake for an example. So how mm-hmm. would you embed that yeah. into his, into how would you put, yeah. put that into his so there protocols? There are not many products that we can safely use after injectables. Right. There are a few, but not many, right? But what we can do is make sure that when we're communicating with our clients, we're saying, before you see me, the best application of product is going to be using a digestive acid cleanser. So the morning of seeing me, let's look at doing that. Mm-hmm. After you see me, we want to make sure that your skin is as hydrated and protected as possible. So can we look at doing a multivitamin serum after your services? Let's talk about six hours after where I see you this evening. Can we look at doing a sunscreen to make sure we're protecting your skin? It may be a little bit more fragile after your appointment. So it's having those conversation points within your treatment protocols and making sure that it's part of the consultation. It's part of how you're actually producing that actual treatment rather than just an accidental side effect of um, like luck mm-hmm. rather than planning. Yeah. Um, one of our patrons who was on recent podcast, Nadia Zenko, yes. she mm-hmm. does amazing consults and, and she does follow up with her patients after a skincare consult. And she's got like this, uh, well, it's a PDF, but like she's got like the suggested products on the PDF that mm-hmm. goes to the patient. So it's reinforcing right. yeah. what she was saying with a little yes. bit of blurb and then a link to the website, maybe to the shop. I don't mm-hmm. know. But yeah, it was, yes. I mean, it's just such a simple thing, but most people wouldn't do that. Yeah. It's Making sort of it going the extra mile. Yeah. Yeah. So we all send out communications to remind them of their appointments. Yeah. Right. But we also know that making sure that you're using the right products at home before you see them is going to enhance their results. Yeah. Making sure that when we're giving our aftercare advice, that we have links to the information that we've given them and perhaps we're linking it to our shop as well. Yeah. That way it's the easiest possible connection to make sure that your client is supported in clinic and at home. Hmm. Can you, uh, I don't know anything about this, but are there better ways or worse ways of laying out your skincare sort of on on display? Is it best to hide it behind the counter or have it so (laughs) you can touch and feel it? I have big feelings about this. Right. Okay. Very big feelings. Go, tell tell us more. (laughs) So so I, I understand myself included being trained a very long time ago. We used to put our most expensive products behind the desk or in a locked cupboard. Right. We are not those people anymore. Our clients aren't going to respond very well to this. We used to be very much about if the product is highest on the shelf and behind everything, it must be the most expensive, the most exciting. Now what we'd like to do is make that completely accessible to our clients. So ensuring that you have touch points, that you have multiple points within their walking journey in your clinic where they're seeing your products. They're not just in one spot. They're maybe printable marketing is dotted through your clinic so that as they're actually walking through to their treatment room, as they're sitting on the bed, as they're sitting within their consultation space, they're seeing these things. And it's for further reinforcing the trust that you as a practitioner have in that brand. Hmm. So those sort of things really work. 
I think that making sure that people can touch, smell, feel is important um, and that you have mass. That's not a new a new uh, technique whatsoever, but you cannot have one cleanser on the shelf and expect it to look great. What you can do is merchandise to a point where it looks how it should within your space. So my advice would change based on what type of clinic we're working with. Um, but I would say that the easiest way to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in how you're promoting your products physically is to have multiple points of contact and multiple visual stimulus of that particular product before you even have the client on that bed. Mm. Well, while we're talking about that, you and I uh, chatted couple of days ago, Cassandra, about what we might do for our Patreons. And so what we're going to be doing is, they don't know this yet, but I'll be putting a message up in the next day or so, um, <laughs> is getting someone to, or getting whoever wants to enter in and, and have this opportunity to have basically a real-time video consult with you with photos yes. of their yeah. clinic and how they've set up their merchandising and yes. get you to walk them through how they could lay things out differently to improve their retail sale yes. performance. So that's something we're going to be doing uh, with our patrons, we'll probably put the message up in the next day or two, and we'll uh, see how that goes. I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. We haven't done anything like this before. No, almost like yeah. a, an add-on to the podcast with live interaction yeah. with a guest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did a, a consult uh, for one of my business clients the other day via FaceTime. I walked through as a client into her particular space and shuffled everything through and made, I guess, all the things that we'd already taught them within our weeks of, of consulting with them, but making sure we could show them in real life made a massive difference. And what I thought was really interesting is this particular business, we noticed that every time the client walked in the front door, they ducked their head. So straight away they were going, okay, I feel small. I don't feel out and confident. So shoulders weren't back. Their posture wasn't great and they tilted their body forward. It's because they were so cluttered in the first space that they felt as though they couldn't own that space. So straight away, the client doesn't feel confident to ask a question, doesn't feel as though they can be led once they feel protective of themselves because they've hunched their shoulders down. So changing a few things in how the client interacts with the first milliseconds of your business can change the way that your retailing um, is in terms of its success. So don't necessarily think that setting your clinic uh, merchandising up is just about the product. It can literally be about the angle that you have a chair on, where your plant is, whether or not when someone walks into your space, they're going to find mirroring or patterning things that allow them to be, I guess, funneled into looking in a particular direction. So if we see things that start in a particular color, we see things that start in a particular brand, we see things that start in a particular genre, we'll naturally look towards those particular points. And that can rather be jarring and you're ducking your head and you're feeling uncomfortable, or it can be light, bright, easy, and you've already started that conversation that says, trust me, feel calm, feel confident, and let's get some results together. Yeah. Yeah, people aren't going to sort of yeah. feel comfortable to spend if they feel at, they don't feel at ease in a space. If there isn't that sort of relaxed comfort, you're going to find that tension and anxiety aren't sort of conducive with making mm -hmm. people have a, a positive experience. Yes. There was one business I did an audit for a little while back and they had a beautiful space. Their space was stunning. If I could build another house, I honestly would give their... their uh, architect a call. It was stunning. However, what they had done is they were using a product line that was white and red and they had those enormous sales star stickers. And she's like, I really need to sell these really quickly. I have to get these off the shelf ASAP. They're going to, you know, I'm not even going to stop this later on. So straight away, that's a problem. 
right? Straight away, you've said, I'm urgent and this is risky. Mm. We don't want anything to look risky and we don't need anything to be urgent. So it's bringing it back and saying, how do I actually want my client to feel within this space? So sales is not necessarily about actually physically selling someone something all the time. It's about creating an environment, a trusting relationship that this all just feels logical and sustainable and they're happy to be led by you because they trust you. I was going to say, actually, um, many clinics were kind of on sale at Christmas for, with their skincare. Like, h- how often should should clinics be on sale for for things like retail? It seems to be becoming more and more common. Mm-hmm. We've got Cyber Day, Black Friday, Christmas, Easter, <laughs> New Year. Like, it just Flash doesn't. Sales. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah. stop. So, h- how do you? Obviously, it's important to sort of drive sales occasionally, but you, you mm-hmm. don't want to sort of make it so common that it. it it just becomes normal. It becomes bland. Yeah. I think it's how you present it, right? So if you just put a sticker up that says 50% off everything, then that's a concern, right? It's how you're actually physically presenting it. So take, for example, we had a business who had just opened in that particular location and there was a green grocer over the road and they just started stocking um, some internal beauty care. So what we did is absolutely, it's time to be on sale. We're excited. We're introducing this product. But how can we actually put this within our space to support our community and leverage our, our I guess, relationships around us? So what we did is we went and got every possible green vegetable they would sell us <laughs> um, and then put everything and merchandise it so that it was actually more of a celebration of the businesses around you in terms of the fresh food produce, produce and then your internal um, gut health supporting skincare. Mm. So we're able to, I guess, get both clients excited, but also have something that just looked a little bit more organic, a little bit less pushy. And the sale was just as effective, if not more, than simply putting something at the front desk that says, this is new and you should be excited about it. Mm. So it's how you present it. Think about Christmas too, right? A lot of brands, for some reason, decide that because Christmas is primarily red and green, right? That we're putting red and green everywhere. There's no need to do that. What we want to do, however, is create a narrative, create a story. So let's talk about the fact that this rose water smells exactly like your grandma might have loved it, right? So let's dress it up. Let's make it beautiful. Let's pop it at your front desk and have a couple of spots within your clinic space that have a similar merchandising feel. So they're excited about it. It smells great. They can interact with the product. It's still exactly a gift with purchase right? It's a gift with purchase. It's a gift with treatment. It's however else you need to frame this particular sale. Mm. But we're presenting in a way that creates a narrative, joins a story and binds us together Mm. rather than just putting a sales sticker on. So I can't necessarily say how many sales should you have within a year because that's dependent on your business and your goals, but also the structure of your team Mm. uh, and any sort of introductory products. But what I can say is please be smart about how we're doing it now. Focus on the relationship with the client. Don't focus on physically selling that particular product as the main goal. Yeah. Okay. So that's physical merchandising within your clinic. How do you do that online? So we'll talk about maybe your website, social media. How do you sort of apply those similar principles to a digital strategy? Sure. So we want to carry on the relationship. So it's not necessarily the best thing to have your product be a product image, sorry, supplied by the um, the company that produces Mm. it. And so what we prefer to do is let's say we were selling inside aesthetics serums. Right? Good idea. And you, there we <laughs> you go. <might> <laughs> <laughs> right? So we know that the brand um, awareness for inside aesthetics is great. So we do know that we trust you. 
right? We understand that you have great people um, within your team. You have great people that are being um, produced within your podcast. So we trust that what you say is going to be true. Mm. But isn't it far, I guess, more effective to have both of you using the product, both of you talking about the product rather than just putting a photo of a product with an inside aesthetic sticker on it? I think that's how you merchandise better online. You're having a conversation with the client. You're actually filming short, sharp videos that talk about you and interacting with the client, not necessarily just putting a product photo up or a stock standard person of a woman washing her face and now everything's better. It's Mm. actually having a personal connection with that brand and take the photos in your clinic. I don't see many clients or many companies doing this. Yeah. Take your own photos, have it within your own space. You're the one selling it. And they're not necessarily always buying that product because of the brand awareness. They're buying it because of the relationship and trust they have with you. So if I was selling a product specifically designed by you two for Inside Aesthetics, for your clients, for your businesses, I'd be making sure that I had both of you speaking about it, both of you using it, and I'd be taking a photo within your space. Yeah. Death to stock images. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining yeah. a 30 second video of me and David, black and white, <laughs> kind of Vogue style, looking very moody. Just I will produce this for you. With no yes, talking. I would. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. I will do this for you. <laughs> yeah. But you, you raised a good point. And this is something I talk yeah. to my uh, clients a lot when, when I'm looking at their social media, their website is to take the time and. To, <laughs> Be prepared to spend the money on getting professional photos taken of you and your yeah. space, your team. It's money well spent. It's how you are presenting your face to the world in a mm. digital online capacity. Um, it doesn't Correct. cost that much. We've actually got a partnership set up. Yes, we do. Um, with a photographer here in Australia that specializes in photography in this industry. If you go to insideaesthetics.com um, and go to our IA offers, I, our, our IA offers um, you'll find that we've got a relationship set up with a gentleman called Scott Eller Photography. And he does a lot of the big conferences here in, in Australia in the aesthetic space. He takes care of a lot of my clients in terms of providing photography for them to use on their website, social media, they do video content as well. So it's, it's worthwhile just if you're going to get professional photography done is to make a day out of it, plan content mm. that you want to create, have a think about how you want to sort of highlight certain parts of your clinic and get great photos of your team, make sure everyone's prepared and they know they're going to get the photos taken because you can keep those photos for years potentially. Well, you might not great update them when you get new staff members and things change, but they're, yeah. it's good having a, a library bank full of images that you can use for all of your online applications. Definitely. You know, headshots, team shots, product shots, room shots, like you name it. Yeah. You say room shot? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. What's it? Oh, room shot. Room. room okay. shot. Okay. I was like, what's, what's a room know. shot? I don't know. Oh, a room shot's a, a drum shot. Yeah, I was like, what are we doing? No, no. Room <laughs> shot. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. What's more engaging though? Just seeing a photo of a cleanser or actually having a skin therapist speak about it, using it, physically having the product within your space. It's far more engaging. We used to do sales poorly. We're now doing it much better. And I'm glad these sort of conversations are happening because the whole industry will benefit from it. Yeah. And I think that's the algorithm supports video content far more than it rewards images. So video is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Um, Cass, what do you think of these clinics now offering memberships or some sort of club or... I, I, I mean, the, the way loyalty, I understand... Loyalty it, programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how does it work yeah. exactly? I think it depends. I think every... every. I mean, you, you're talking about like if you buy five coffees, you get your six one free kind of thing. Well, I mean. 
Sort of. Should you so, do that so for your podcast? My, my yeah. understanding is there will be certain aesthetic clinics yeah. now. You pay, I don't know, a fee. Yeah. And then as part of that sort of loyalty, well, that, that fee, you get discounted skincare. I don't know, you might yeah. get something complimentary like a light treatment. Yeah. Um, you're sort of buying into like... Like a club. Like a VIP club. Yeah. I've got a few clients, particularly in Europe, they tend to be... Um, quite popular. Got mm-hmm. a, f- a few clients in the UK that do this, and it works quite well. I think every business is a little bit different, and who your 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 patients are, your demographic, and how you want to structure things. Uh, I think it can work. It just depends on how you execute it and what your patient demographics like. What do you think, Cass? Yeah, I, I agree. I think depending on your business is how you'll set it up. But absolutely, referral programs, loyalty programs, anything that makes your life easier as a client, absolutely produce that for them. So um, it's very, very easy to have automated emails now, right? So we know that our clients need to be coming back at a particular treatment timeframe. We understand that when they purchase a product, that in three months' time, they're likely to need another. So those sort of membership things work quite well. Um, I've seen quite a few businesses do a post-out service every three months. So you've got an option to purchase it as a one-time purchase. And then every three months, it's sent to you. So that works quite well. Um, Loyalty programs work really well in terms of how you can set up deliberate decisions within your client space. Referral programs are no longer, you know, bring a friend and get 10% off. I don't think that's that's how we do life anymore. Um, but I do think that what we are seeing within the landscape of aesthetics especially is that working on um, delivering information that is fair, repeatable, and sustainable but also making sure that we're providing referral opportunities to clients that are bringing in a lot of other clients to our business. So if you've got those satellite clients that are referring more clients to you than the average person, speaking to them specifically about what do they love about the business? What are some things that you think you could be doing differently? And are you interested in perhaps hosting an afternoon with us? There's been a couple of, um, I guess you could call them referral programs, uh, but they're VIP nights but it's not necessarily invite everyone. It's let's invite this particular group of people that we know love this space. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an important point, isn't it? Keeping track of who are the people that are supporting your business the most, rewarding them, recognizing them, making them feel part of, of the sort of the inner circle or the, the yeah. most valued people as part of your team. Because as you said, they're the people that refer to you and people like positive reinforcement. If someone's referring a lot of people, a lot of patients to you, and you don't even acknowledge it, then why would they continue? Why would they bother? Exactly, exactly. And think about how much cheaper it will be to retain that client and have them doing your marketing for you than you pumping thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into your marketing campaigns. You need to build the relationship first and then make it repeatable. Yeah. So maybe just one of the final question before we sort of wrap things up because this is this has been a great episode. I've always and I've known you for 10 years. I'm still still learning. So this is it's an education (laughs) for me too. Um, (laughs) Excellent. What's the best way to sort of manage your retail inventory um, in terms of mm-hmm. making sure things aren't expiring, that things aren't potentially walking off your shelves, both in terms of uh, patients yes. that might put things in bags, staff mm-hmm. members that might put things in bags? How did you best manage this process to protect your inventory and make sure that it was uh, yeah. not going missing or not going off and expiring? Excellent. I have many, many suggestions. <laughs> One is completely, uh, nobody loves this when I say it first. And then ideally they try it and then they love it. But did you know that a lot of your product lines or your product companies will give you empty bottles? Right. So if you are that concerned about your clients stealing your products, which ideally they're not, but let's say they are, you can just put empty bottles 
on your shelves. They look exactly the same as full bottles, but if they go missing, it costs you 80 cents. Right. Right. So when I say that, it lands flat, which I can see it's landed flat. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing utility. <laughs> I think yeah. it's good. We, we've actually had, um, two, well, I can remember two incidents of patients walking in, distracting our um, team, and then they've been caught on camera stealing and walking off or running mm. off. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's kind of ridiculous for, for a bottle of skincare, but, you know, these things are pricey and it just shows. Yeah, that's what people are, I guess, and that's three hundred bucks or or whatever your cost price is that you've got to pay for if that happens. So yeah, I think yeah. I think it's reasonable. Yeah, it's a bizarre thing to do, but honestly, every business I've I've talked to about this always flinches when I ask them to do it, and they do it, and they go, "Actually, that was amazing." The interesting thing about um, I guess how you're merchandising your products to make sure you're anti theft is please do not put it in a cupboard. Please do not put it behind a glass cabinet. Please do not lock it away. People need to touch it. They need to smell. They need to feel it. So have your testers out. We're now, um, I guess, beyond the restrictions we had in 2020 uh, where we couldn't have testers and those sort of things out. It's also making sure that if you don't feel comfortable as a brand doing a tester, to have those little beautiful pots, have a branded sticker on top of that pot and disperse product that you want your clients to be trying. That also helps you work and move product off the shelves that perhaps you bought too much of, you haven't sold it the way you wanted to, and it may have an expiry date that's faster. When we're talking about professional products, do a stock take. Do a stock take and a clinic map. I can't stress this enough. Clinic maps are so boring to do, but they save you so much money. So walk through your business, draw your actual build out all the cupboards, all of the shelves, and know exactly what is in them. That's part of your stock take. Know exactly how much product you're using within each service and make sure that if your team are visual learners, that you actually produce a, a, I guess, product photo that shows you how much you're using each time. This sounds absolutely mental and I'm aware of this and it's going to be on the internet forever. But <laughs> Take a photo of how much product you're meant to be using. If we think about even just a cleanser, right? If I said to you, David, just use a pea size, right? Your version of a pea size may be completely different to mine and we're running through a ton of stock that we didn't need to. When we talk about applying a serum or a mask within a particular service, actually show how much is meant to be used. So when you have a, uh, say, a laminated a document that you're keeping within your space that says in this room is this laser, is this handpiece, are these prep products, are these after products, these are the consumer products we have in here and here's a rundown of how much product you should be using each service with this particular product. That helps you manage how much you're physically consuming within your space and helps you monitor how much you're using external to your treatment rooms as well. When we're looking at theft within a treatment room, I not necessarily had too many experiences of that happening. I think I'd have to give individual advice for that. Um, perhaps let's not treat those clients again. <laughs> <laughs> but in the retail space, consider empty products. Consider how else you can be merchandising them so that they still look appealing, but there's, they're not in areas of which you need to be concerned with. Yeah. We did have an injector that used to... Uh, uh, she was really unlucky because she used to drop Botox vials all the time. Yes. Syringes okay. of filler would explode, and uh, and if she's listening to this, you know exactly who you are. Uh, <laughs> and we had to develop policies and procedures just for this person. Um, we did. So, so things yeah. like if things go missing, mm -hmm. you're responsible for the product in that room during yeah. your shift, and you have to pay for it. If something, yeah. if you drop a bone off file, or if you explode yeah. a syringe, 
you need to bring another person into the room. You need to take a photograph of it. So yeah, yeah these needs to have what's called yeah. tolerable risk. Yeah, yeah, tolerable risk is is important and tolerable loss. Right, so it's natural to assume that you may lose a couple of units of your anti wrinkle when drawing up. We know this, but we're not losing vials and vials and vials a day. Mm. So it's looking through what do we actually expect to use, what are we using, and how we put some security in place. And sometimes, in the case of I guess our situation, we're FaceTiming a stock take at the beginning and the end of the day for that particular point until we can adjust our staffing to better reflect our core values as a business. Yeah. Yeah, what she means is at all you're able to get rid of this person. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it's it's and that, and it's you know, we weren't going to talk about this, but yeah, stock take of your injectable product is so important. Obviously, you've got a requirement um from just a drug use perspective and sort of recording what you use and, and allocating certain treatments to products to different patient treatments. But just yeah. getting in the habit of doing an opening and a closing count at the end of every day, especially if you've got like multiple injectors. Um, yeah, in your clinic, yeah. you know, multiple people using the same room. All of a sudden, things get difficult to know what went missing and what shift. And this stuff's really expensive. So I guess we're not talking about skincare specifically now. We're talking about injectable product. But just get into the habit of doing daily stock count, stock count, because it'll save you a lot of money. And just get people into get people into the habit that that's just an expectation. So you know, maybe you need to. Yeah, I agree. One thing also, when you're doing your stock takes, um, both before and after, try and do them with someone that doesn't inject. I know that sounds counterproductive, but what a great opportunity to spend time one-on-one with a team member that may not necessarily understand your role within the clinic space, that may not have much of a relationship with you. So don't necessarily always do it with the same person. Try and get some interaction points with others as well. It's a good educational opportunity for both of you. But also remembering too that just as much as you're able to deliver information and training to others, you can receive it from them too. So even if it's your casual, you know, just started in the industry receptionist, she may have some cracker ideas as to how to help you and, you know, you building that relationship with them too for hopefully referrals and and great results too. So yes, it is necessarily uh, not always something you have to do every single moment of the day, but you do have to be remembering that when we do sales training, when we do retailing, all those sort of things, it is absolutely not about the product you're selling. It's the relationship you're maintaining and growing. So when you're selling something, it starts with how you're actually communicating before they even come into your space. It starts in the car park. It's how they interact with your reception. It's how they interact with your team. It's also how you're communicating your expertise and your core values and beliefs within that treatment space as well. You have to team up. It should be a natural side effect that your sales are improving. Whenever I get called in to do team training or clinic audits uh, for environment and say language and communication, they always start the same. They'll say, my sales are really down. I can't move this particular product. And the tiniest shift makes a massive difference. To give you an example of just the tiniest thing, um, I had a client once who had sold uh, very, very few particular whitening products for their teeth. It should be an easy add-on sale. They had a really, really repetitive uh, teeth whitening, I guess, clinic uh, in terms of treatments that they do. So it's in, out, done, in, out, done, in, out, done. The treatment space was produced so the client would walk in, quickly say hello, quickly sit down, quickly rush off to the treatment and quickly rushed out. Because she was a membership client as well, it meant that she wasn't actually interacting financially with the business every single time. 
So yes, the business locked her into a membership, which means that she was coming, but it wasn't necessarily that she was interacting with their space. So what we did is we moved their reception around a little bit so that you had to actually physically interact with the space to flow through to your treatment room to see all these products that are available. We changed nothing but showing where the product was three times within that space and changing how they sat within the the waiting area, where they sat within their consultation room and how they interacted with their space. And she was selling them hotcakes. Like I can't remember the exact number. I probably should have been able to like memorize this for any glory, but but she did amazingly well. And all we changed is just how the client interacts with that. I didn't train someone how to sell it. I didn't give them any buzzwords. They didn't have to feel as though that they were flogging these products left, right, and center. But what happened is they accidentally sold a lot more because their space was set to support them. It's a bit like um, I read about the psychology of what our supermarkets do to get us to buy certain yeah. things. Like yeah. you walk in, the fresh fruit and veg is always first, and then you smell the bread, and then you get hungry, and then you start grabbing <laughs> things you don't need. So yeah, similar, yeah. similar kind of. And I put all the journey. chocolates at Kid yeah. at the well, to start. An example, <laughs> I um I paid full commission to sell a property that I had a few years ago, and I honestly think that the commission should have gone to me because I cleaned that house perfectly as as you do when you're selling your home, right? There were muffins in the oven, cinnamon and vanilla, uh, absolute sense that are meant to make you trust selling a house apparently. And I made drink bottles. I went to office works and I printed out labels to put on drink bottles that said, welcome to my street address and then little facts about us. So what was happening is that particular person is walking to the rest of their open homes with my drink bottle and remembering my particular sales opportunity. And whilst that's about real estate, we can move that through to aesthetics as well. If they're carrying around something they own of you, whether it's physical or whether it's the email that they're receiving after their appointment, whether it's the product they have that has your business's label on it as well, that's always an important thing. If you have the option to put your brand name on your products, even if you're selling, you know, let's give the example that Jake gave before, Estee Lauder right? Have Estee Lauder provided to you by Dr. Jake Sloan. There we go. (laughs) So they're thinking about you all the time. It's setting yourself up to be successful, not just trying to push and push and push and wondering why it's not working. Well, that's fascinating. I think we've uh, we've, yeah. we've flogged this subject. It's great. I know. I've said flogging so many <laughs> times. <laughs> What's another word I can be using for this? I get too excited. I love this stuff. So I just, I get too excited and flogging apparently is the word of the day. <laughs> well, that was great. Education, like maybe something a little bit different for our, for our audience to listen to. I know we're sort of often talking about technical ins and outs of uh, yeah. new products and new treatments that are coming out and business bits and pieces and... Uh, it's always good to get a different perspective. So thank you so much for your time and uh, your knowledge and being so generous with it. And uh, just a reminder, again, we will be doing a piece of Patreon content where you will be doing a live interaction piece yeah. of feedback with someone that sends in photos of their retail space and seeing if you can improve the amount of products that they sell, the way things flow and getting better patient interaction, and hopefully increase sales as well. So look out for that. Yeah. What's that? Thank you, Cass. Always a pleasure no to have you on. Number six ticked off. Yes. Number six. Do I get a free coffee now? I feel like that's a thing, right? From Sydney. Should we do I get a mug? You should send me an inside aesthetics mug. That could work. Oh, a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give one to you when <laughs> I said you actually have one because we've got some. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. It's always always a blast. I'm really excited to speak to your listeners. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to them. My pleasure. See you later, Cass. Thank, thank you. See you. 
For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our Patreon for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information. 